This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Today on CityCast Denver. When Colorado voted to decriminalize psychedelics last year, two things happened. First, lawmakers started to work on how we'd regulate the use of these highly stigmatized drugs. And second, a lot of people tried them for the first time. So today, we have a conversation about how psychedelics are changing Denver, and specifically how they helped one of Denver's funniest stand-up comedians, Christy Bukley. She's putting on her first one-woman show about the whole experience tonight at the Buntport Theater. Today is Wednesday, March 22nd. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Christy Bukley, welcome to CityCast Denver. Hi, thank you so much. It's so good to see you, Bree. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to see you too. So I know you as one of Denver's funniest stand-up comedians, but your new show, Lost and Found, is not stand-up at all. And I've heard there aren't a ton of jokes in it. What what changed? There is. (laughs) There's none. (laughs) Um, I got tired of the laughs. No. Uh, So this has been a goal of mine for um, at least four years is to do a one uh, one woman show, one person show. Um, And mostly it's because with stand up, I felt sort of the stifling energy that's like, no matter what you're talking about, you always have to land on a laugh or else you're not doing yeah. your job. And that can be really frustrating when you want to talk and write about um, other things. So uh, part of it was just about not being so beholden to like getting the laugh at the end, because just that's not how I feel about a lot of the things I talk about, not truly. And I will like do this song and dance for them up there, land on a laugh. And then you walk away and go, God, that's actually a lot more painful. Then they even know, and I don't get to do that. But yeah, I think that's why I went with um, this one person show is because you get to explore some um, heavier stuff without having to like make the audience comfortable and laughing at the end, Mm. which can be, it can drive you crazy if you're having to address some heavier stuff and then put a, a nice little bow on it for him all the time. So, so with this show with Lost and Found, um, I understand there was. A fundamental change in your life, something that you you did that, yeah. that brought you to this story that you end up telling. What what happened? Um, yeah, I, I actually was connected with um, a therapist that does MDMA therapy. Okay, it's part of the psychedelic therapy. Sort of, it's coming down the pipe. It's not legal yet, so I have to be very careful about what I say about the therapist. Um, but I was connected with somebody and. Um, you know, like, uh, December, 2022, I was really wanting to make changes just in my life. I was tired of the level of drinking I was doing. I was on medic, like medication for antidepressants. And really I have a, I have cerebral palsy. I talk about it on, on stage. I have a disability. And there was just this fundamental part about me that I was just like, man, I'm not ever gonna 
love this part of myself. And I've done a lot of therapy and there is no, I can't imagine anything that any amount of talk therapy that is ever going to move this feel, this fundamental feeling about myself. And so, um, a friend of mine had done this and told me about it. And I'm like, man, it's worth a shot just to like, see, uh, what happens. Um, but I've done it twice now. And just like the change in my life and in my brain is like, it's incredible. Like I, it's so hard to explain to people, but, um, yeah, like the way I feel about my body, about my disability was changed overnight. And I Mm. honestly, I, you have to go off of antidepressants in order to do this therapy effectively. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. As a person that's on antidepressants, that sounds a little bit like a scary proposition. Right. So you only have to do it for about two weeks okay. um, beforehand. And then my friend that had done it before said, just give it 48 hours after your experience. Um, and I and I haven't needed to be on them since. Wow. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's everybody's experience. And I'm not saying For like, sure. I'm not saying like, you know, even if I ever have to go back on them, that's going to be like a failure in any way. But like, I do know that it has, you know, rewired some stuff. I got there. The thing with it though, and you do talk therapy. So you do, and you do ecstasy. It is ecstasy. People don't know. You do ecstasy and you sit with a therapist and you do five, seven hours of therapy with this person while your brain is being flooded with serotonin. So you actually have to like the therapy still does the work that regular therapy does. You just have this tool that allows you to uh, like get past the, the walls that every other therapist has happened to spend years and months and hours and hours and hours to work around. They don't have to do it. And every time I've done it, it literally feels like three years of therapy in 30 days. Well, like, when I heard, yeah. And when I heard that you had done this, I thought, oh, I've been there. I've totally lied to my therapist because mm-hmm. I didn't want to talk about the really dark thing. Or the- Yeah. You lie to yourself just to like, yes. and our brains are, we don't even know, like our brains are so good at protecting our, us that we go, we just do it without even knowing that we're doing it. Right. And so yeah. I did that session. And then, you know, once you uncover the, I thought the, dis- that's the wildest thing. And this is really the, the like theme of the show. It, but I, I thought that my disability was the biggest problem in my life. I think it's how I was taught to believe about myself. And I thought, Hey, you can't ever fix it. And I can't ever lose it. So I, I'm never going to be this whole person. I can't quote overcome it. There's no beating it. There's no fixing it. And (laughs) so like, there's no, and I thought that was my biggest problem Mm. in the world. And then it actually moved aside so easily with this therapy of like, no, I don't accept those feelings about myself anymore. And I don't connect to it. So can I ask, where did you get with your disability after this therapy? Like, where are you in the world and- uh, thinking about it or existing. I, I don't know. I don't even know how to ask you. Yeah, no, I know. It's so hard to explain also. But the biggest thing that I realized and a big thing I talk about in the show is that the way I felt about my disability was not even you learn that you learn that from your parents. And that is theirs to carry. That is not mine. And I do not. I put that down. I do not accept that anymore. Mm. Um, and so that would be the biggest like shift. And that's what you'll see me talking about in the show. But when you move your disability aside, what's there? Then you actually have to look 
at what is really causing your issues. And I just think that that is an issue that so many people, especially with a physical disability, they are so, but it can be anything. It can be, it can be your skin color. It can be your sexual orientation. It can be just anything that you feel like is the first thing that people see about you. You just feel you get defined by it, by the way that society treats you, that your parents treat you, that people teach you. And then you neglect all the internal stuff that is actually like causing you that pain and that actual suffering. You just never get past it because you're taught that that's the most important thing about you. And so I think that, and you'll get into what's behind it in the show, Mm -hmm. just to leave a lot for people to um, want to come and see, but that's a generally like the, the situation that um, is, I explore in the show. So you're talking about the stories that have been told to you about yourself, the things that you have been told about your disability is what formed what you thought was wrong with you, which was, oh, people tell me my disability is what's wrong with me. And this therapy made you realize, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for you, but it's like, my disability is not a problem. It's me. It's part of me. Yep. There's other stuff yeah. that I actually need yeah. to deal with in therapy. Oh, I've got problems. I have them. <laughs> this just isn't it. And I thought it was yeah. this whole time. Right. And so, and I think that's such an experience, especially as, um, with, as <sighs> with being growing up in it, it with kids and being special needs, just like, it's such a focus and you're constantly at the doctor and you're constantly being just looking at this physical thing about you and you really do believe like uh they it's like they say your diagnosis before your name almost cerebral palsy Mm. this is an 11 year old girl with cerebral palsy her name is christy Mm. and you could actually see it in my stand-up like you can see it like for 10 years i i started every set with a joke about my disability i am not even severely like i don't have severe cerebral palsy. It's very mild, but I started every set with a joke about it because I really thought that if I didn't acknowledge it, it's all anybody could focus on until I told them how, how to feel about it. Oh my God. And then I, and I realized, oh, you're the literally the only person that learned to focus on it first. Yeah. And you have created this situation. So that's like the main discovery, but But actually taking, so once you do this therapy and actually taking it and putting it through this show and actually applying it to creative, like a creative process and sort of building something that's sort of outside of yourself to process like all the pain and the grief and what have you has been so, so healing. So Christy, I want to get a sense of what a session is like. You're, you're doing MDMA, also known as ecstasy or Molly, but you're doing it with a therapist in the room and then talking through your issues. Mm-hmm. What, is, what is that like? Yeah. So you meet up, you meet this person and every person that kind of guides you, this is like a, a licensed therapist that I say. Right. And right. so um, you go and this person is just believes in the work. Um, but the way you do it is you meet up, uh, you meet the, you set with your person, your person at least for me, and you set goals that you have in like kind of where you're hitting your next, you know, sort of like resistance and those things that won't really move. And then you do, you go and you do a little talk therapy, maybe for an hour before you ever take anything, you get kind of like comfy. And then you take half, like the dose of, I think it's 0.12 
I don't know how much. So it's a much smaller dosage than maybe someone might have used recreational. Right, right. I mean, okay, you're still rolling. I mean, pretty good. Right. <laughs> uh, but no, you take a half a dose and you wait about 45 minutes. And then they're always like, do you want the other half? Which I'm like, yeah, I paid, <laughs> I paid a lot of money for these drugs. I want all the drugs. Um, and then you, and then you go. And then once you're really in it, that's when you start do like really going. And the funny thing is like, you can set a goal and I've come in with the goal, but it's just like your brain will take you where it needs to go. And you just trust it. And it takes you where you need to go to heal your stuff. Wow. Yeah. And the funny, like, yeah, the funny thing is like on this last, I had, didn't even know I was going to do a show yet when I did my last MDMA journey, Session. if you will. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to do stand up for the therapist <laughs> and the joke <laughs> I did. I was like, I want you to see it. Cause like, that's where I feel like the most powerful. Aww. And I sort of wanted to feel that power, like feel that under the drug as well. But the joke of all the jokes I picked was this joke I've actually been working on for 13 years, like 13 years. I had been working mm. on this bit about my parents, um, basically about my parents forcing, trying to force me to learn to roller skate, <laughs> even though I have a disability. Like, yeah, the premise is parents shouldn't force their dumb hobbies on their kids. Uh, but and it all goes through. And then basically by the end of it, I'm claiming that like sometimes the divorce is the kid's fault. And so like that's oh. I mean, that's not the joke, but that's the joke I did with her not really realizing that this was actually like the joke form of the like deeper trauma of all of it is that my parents were trying to force this idea and this belief and like force me into being like fixed or doing, you know, what they like, what would be acceptable. Be normal. Just be normal. Like yeah, other kids yeah. roller skate, like other kids conform. Right. Yeah. And they loved roller skating. Like that's the thing they really had in common. So it's like, that was why they really, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of humor in that. I'm like, you're 27 and still roller skating. I did you a favor. Okay. <laughs> like you needed to grow as a person, but, um, but I didn't really realize in that moment that that was like such the joke form of this deeper trauma and the therapist that I have worked with, cause I refer people all, you know, has worked with so many yeah. comics now. Um, and she's like, I did not realize how many jokes were rooted in like truly heavy trauma. And that's where it came back. Like that is why, you know, I just wanted to, to build and create something else. I don't know what that was. I'm sorry. Um, it's going to get weird tonight. I thought, Hey, let's prepare them. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can also, uh, people say this, you can get cerebral palsy from shaken baby syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's like, don't talk about that in my house. Right. Dad. <laughs> ah! I'm kidding, I'm kidding, you guys. My dad did not shake me. <laughs> You'd have to hold me to shake me, so there's like a missing... <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Um... Um, so I'm thinking about Colorado voters decriminalize psychedelics. You and I are obviously on the same page on how we feel about this kind of therapy. But I'm thinking there's other folks out there who are like, man, I don't know. Do you, is there any part of you that is afraid there's going to be blowback about being this open about your experience utilizing what some people see as a recreational drug and then, you know, evangelizing it as therapy? Well, my number, 
the hardest thing would be like, I'd be like, okay, just try it. And uh, then you get back to me. Uh, and then I have more information than you. And so do your research and do it and let come back to me. Um, of course I do, but I would just say like, that's why the science is important and what MAPS is doing. The biggest thing, and I could like cry, just like mm. even thinking about this, but um, the people that they are helping, like especially in their post-traumatic stress disorder studies, these people are not something that's really interesting. They are actually, the, the people that they are helping are suicidal. Like these are people that do not want to be alive anymore. Yeah. And a lot of them are our veterans. And yeah. um, the data is is showing that two months after they go through three of these treatments, 67% of them do not even qualify to be um, to be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder anymore. Like it, it, it works so well for folks that have had this severe trauma. Yeah. That it's, it's, I don't want to say fixed, but it, like it is, it feels like maybe a light at the end of that tunnel because, you know, from therapy, sometimes it feels like we're never getting to the end. Oh, that's the hardest part of even getting to, I mean, I didn't have these skills. My parents didn't talk about therapy in the same way. And I got, and I know that I never thought even just getting on antidepressants for the first time was eye opening because I truly thought that my depression and my mental illness was like my personality. I didn't know, like until you experience a little bit of relief, you really don't know. But like, I just, the way that they villainized these drugs back in the seventies is it's costs thousands of people, their lives and their loved ones and their quality of life. And like, that's the thing that can just like make me so sad when people like want to apply their religious morals or their, you know, you know, some sort of morals to this medicine. It's like bare minimum. If you want to support our troops, like this is the best thing for their healing when they come home. Like if I could just implore anybody, like do not, do not impede someone else's healing because of your moral stuff. If it's not right for you, if you're not ready to look at it, fine. But we also just have a really messed up way of looking at mental health and post-traumatic stress disorder in this country. Cause we think it, you do have to be a soldier to have like experienced the trauma, but people are so sick with this all the time yeah. and they're not, they don't even think they're qualified to like, they haven't earned the right to be calling themselves yeah. that. Like we, they don't have enough trauma. Right. They don't have be. enough trauma to be claiming it and looking for relief, but it's like, you don't have to. So it's just like, yeah, that's the hard part. And, and so many of them experience like you, you won't be fixed after one, but like you see the path and it gives you so much hope to just keep going. That's if that's this first step, that's the first step. So yeah, don't block it for that reason and we the more we're above a board and we communicate and we make it not dark it actually will keep people safe safer yeah and our state is always the front line and so like it's our job to spread the word spread the word like as much as we can so you cannot don't book me i guess if you don't i don't care <laughs> i don't care about their blowback i don't even give a crap because i just know what it's it saved my life you know so yeah. i don't I don't give a crap. Don't book me. 
I could care less. I'm very good at this, though, so you should. <laughs> well, Christy Bukley, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. The CU Buffs women's basketball team. Because on Monday night, they pulled off a big upset in the NCAA tournament, knocking out three-seed Duke to advance to the Sweet 16. The six-seed Buffs even had to play at Duke's home stadium on Monday, which makes the overtime victory that much sweeter. They're set to take on two-seed Iowa on Friday in Seattle at 5.30 p.m. Go Buffs! And finally, a moment of joy. This week, our moment of Denver joy comes from listener Aaron. Hi, CityCast. My name is Erin from Wash Park, and my moment of joy recently has been the return of fish fries. Um, so that is kind of a Catholic thing where we don't eat uh, meat on Lent, on Fridays during Lent. And so a lot of communities will put on these, um, you know, like community dinners. And so I have loved getting to come back to the Good Shepherd Catholic Church, um, fish fries, now that COVID is a little bit over. And so we still have one more on March, March 24th. You definitely don't have to be Catholic. Um, we get like 300 to 500 people per event, and it's just such an awesome community gathering. So it's just been making me really happy to see people coming together again after a couple of hard years. Hope everyone has a good week. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for calling in, Aaron. And if you have a moment of Denver joy to share, I would love to hear it. All you have to do is leave us a voicemail with your name and neighborhood, and you might hear it on our show. Our Denver Joy hotline is 720-500-5418. That number again is 720-500-5418. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell your therapist about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. Are you sure you don't want to go get any man-on-the-street interviews today at the Casa Bonita job fair? (laughs) Because I was like, maybe we could get some intel. Like, when are they starting? When's your starting date? I'd love to know. (laughs) 